0: Hey everybody out there in Aleph Beta land. This is Rabbi David Foreman and I am here together joined with Rabbi Ami Silver. Ami, you there? Hey everybody. Hey Rabbi Foreman. Okay. And uh, we are here today um, pioneering something grand and wonderful. Um, Grand and wonderful in terms of the content we're going to share with you. And it's also grand and wonderful, Ami, I think in terms of the format uh, in which we're kind of sharing that content. First of all, let's talk about the content itself. What Ami and I are going to be talking about today is uh, something really wonderful that uh, I think, uh, Ami, you've been
1: working on for a while now, no? I started over a year ago, put it down for a bit, came back to it. But, but thankfully, it's something that As you'll all hear in a second, I I get to deal with on a daily basis. And indeed he does. Uh, So Ami has
0: been working on the Shmona Esrei. Uh, The Shmona Esrei is, of course, the centerpiece of our daily prayers. Uh, Hence, Ami's daily involvement with this. Um, It is uh, the main thing, right? It's 18 brachot, 18 blessings that we stand and say in silent devotion. And the reason why I think this is so special again is, is I think, you know, the Shemoneh Esri, If you, if you're observant and and you've been, you know, praying once a day, twice a day, three times a day, um, if you're one of those folks, you've been saying this so often that I, you're almost subject to something which you know I, I labeled in the introduction of my first book, the lullaby effect. This mm-hmm. sort of sense that you know the thing so well you could just sing yourself to sleep with this and you almost stop thinking about the words, a terrible thing for, for prayer, which is supposed to be this intimate communication between us and God, but you can almost stop thinking about the words. And and so I think the the chance to really stop and go back and say, what, what in the world are we saying here? Right. And why is it meaningful is really a, a special kind of
1: opportunity. I couldn't agree with you more, Rabbi, Foreman. me, you know, Let's, let's start with, you're, you're speaking about education from a young age. Young kids are trained to say the words. We're basically um, acculturated in the recitation and the, the ritual act of prayer. But whoever takes time to study what the prayer is actually about, like how many schools te- that teach all the books of, of Chumash and as much of N- Navim, Gemara, you can go through your entire life, really, as an observant Jew, and never take the time to really study the actual text that you say and recite daily, that's supposed to be this very meaningful encounter with God, some kind of personal um, petition to your creator. But when do we get a chance to really, really explore what that is?
0: Yeah. And, you know, if you think about the sort of the history of how this developed prayer at one point was an entirely spontaneous thing, Uh, the rabbis came along and to be helpful, they composed text almost as a framework that would give you some way, you know, like kind of of the Hallmark card edition, right? When you can't figure out what you want to say to somebody that matters a great deal. You stop in CVS Pharmacy, you pick yourself up a Hallmark card, you say, that's beautiful. And yet uh, you're supposed to be able to add to the card. It's supposed to mean something to you. You're supposed to bring your full heart to it. And yet sometimes uh, it becomes easy to just, uh rely on the words and almost turn off and not even focus on them so the the chance here is to be able to really look at this document and to try to use some of the methodological tools on me that you and I have been working with here in Aleph Beta, the sort of literary textual kind of method that is so fruitful in Tanakh. I think one of the exciting things is is there are versions of these literary tools which seem to have opened up Shemona Esri for you, uh, at least layers of meaning within within the document. Am I reading
1: you right? Would you say that that's true? Very much so. I mean, it's something, something that does get lost on us in this, you know, I hate to say it the hallmark card version is that we forget that there were actually authors of these words who were not just any old authors these were you know the 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 gemara says that these were the anshekeneset Knesset Hagodola, the the elders and among them even prophets who actually sat and created the formula of prayer that we say so there's a lot of intentionality and meaning put into these words and we really have a chance to unpack it as a text. Once we start doing that, there's, I think, quite quite amazing things to discover there. Yeah,
0: and I think an opportunity also on a personal level uh, to be able to more easily write in the margins of that Hallmark card and to use mm. the prayer to inspire our own personal thoughts and feelings and words um, in connection with God. So that's why I'm excited about this, the chance to make prayer a, more meaningful for me and more personal for me. Um, and to be able to see some of those layers of meaning that we see in Tanakh come alive in prayer is a chance that, uh, you know, that has me raring to go. So I'm really excited about this. What we're going to be doing in this series is we're pretty much going to be, I'll, I'll sort of kind of be interviewing you. Um, you're the guy who who has really uh, sort of immersed yourself in a, a great deal of research. Uh, over the last year or so, and we're gonna do uh, a few weeks together uh to kind of make it through these eighteen blessings I will uh, uh, you know pose questions to you uh try to be a thoughtful um sparring partner uh and hopefully together we can uh, we can get to the bottom of what's going on so um i'm I'm really excited about that in, in a moment we'll talk a little bit more about uh, maybe the methodology, what it is that we're trying to do. But let me shift now to the second thing, which uh, I was talking about that excited me, that on the one hand, this content is new, but the format is also new. And what I mean by that, Ami, is we're going to be trying something kind of new here at Olive Beta. Pretty much most of what you see at Aleph Beta is, um, is animated videos that are kind of ready to go and are finished, at least from our perspective. Uh, we've done a lot of the heavy lifting in uh in, in hiding uh, not available for people to see, and then kind of put this out in as beautiful a form as we can um, and that's wonderful. What we're doing here is kind of giving giving you um the the listeners kind of a, a chance to become partners with us in in this material. Um, Ami's got some ideas uh, I have some ideas Ami, I fully expect that by the time we're done, when we look back on what we've done here, it'll be new to both of us mm, uh, definitely, I, I think we'll be creating something that as of now we we even don't know what we're seeing, and part of that will be because dynamically when we talk together, I think we'll see things that always works that way, that we've never seen before, but part of it will be because there's somebody else here and that's you guys uh, the listeners what we've done here and, and is is we've invited um, a special cohort of uh of Aleph beta folks um, really we've, we've opened it up to to Aleph beta folks and uh, and uh, we have a volunteer cohort of people who are listening to this week to week and um, you guys what I'm asking you to do is to listen and to comment um, let us know what what you're thinking about. What these what questions come to your mind based upon what we say? What observations come to your mind, uh, personal, textual, otherwise? Um, we really want you, Miyanami, as part of this conversation. We're going to be reading these discussion boards, and not only will we be reading them, but um, we really intend for them to become part of the conversation here. Uh, what we hope we'll do is spend the first minutes of uh, each weekly session, kind of going over some of the really provocative stuff that we've seen there. And if you think you don't have anything provocative to say, don't let that stop you. If, it, if you have even a small thing that you want to add to the conversation, please put it in there. Um, this, uh, this kind of input from you is really important uh, for us. And I'll speak personally, you know, going back to something earlier I did in Aleph Beta, I did a series a while back on Acher, on Alicia Benavuya, where we also kind of invited, um, uh, you know, a discussion from folks week to week, and frankly, it, it changed the course of. Uh, of What I had in mind, and it was just absolutely wonderful. So one way that we want you, our cohort, involved is please listen to this. If you can, stay stay in week by week. If you can't, if you're a week behind, don't worry. You can catch up in the car. This is audio, so it's like podcast format, so you can listen while you jog. You can listen on the treadmill. You can listen in the car, wherever it is that you like. And, um, just don't listen
1: while you're davening, okay that's right just don't do us a favor you,
0: don't do that that's right <laughs> um, so that's exciting we're gonna be going through it week by week and it's exciting for us to be in that cohort with you uh, and the second thing is there's a, there's another kind of listener here as well uh what we intend to do is um sort of devise this series this way by. Uh, in uh, you know my conversations with Ami together with uh, uh, with our Alif Beta listeners. but when we're done with that at the end of five, six, seven weeks, or however long this takes, we don't know yet. What we're gonna do is give it to our wonderful audio editors. Avi and I will put some written material together, and we'll be able to shape this series a little bit, edit it a little bit, and then put it out in a little bit more of a finished fashion for the entire Olive Beta community to be able to access and see, and kind of we'll drop it, and then you can just listen to it in the car as you like, and uh, you'll have the benefit of what we've all been able to kind of think about and put together. Uh, and, and, and listen to these conversations at your pace. You know, so the bottom line is I, I, wanna, um, I, I want to welcome, uh, you know, two kinds of listeners to this, right? If you are in our cohort involved in the discussion boards, helping to shape this, um, you welcome. And uh, we're, it's, it's great to have you aboard. If you are listening to this farther along in the timeline, months from now, years from now, and you're you're benefiting from the the finished version of this, then welcome to you as well. We're glad to have you along uh, along for the ride. So with that, Ami, with no further ado, um, let's uh, let's try and dive in. And let me just sort of set the parameters, and then uh, you know maybe I'll I'll ask you uh, a couple of questions. What we're gonna kind of do is break the Shmona Sray into sections here. The Shmona Esrei naturally breaks into three sections. Uh, the three sections are going to be the three prefatory uh, brachot, the three concluding brachot, and then the intermediate brachot. Um, the three prefatory brachot uh, are focused on um, what we call schwach, right? praise of God. Um, the <coughs> three concluding brachot are essentially also focused on God in terms of uh, mostly the theme of thanks. And the Middle brachot, the middle blessings, are what we call bakashot, are sort of requests that we make. And I think what we're going to be focusing the bulk of our efforts here is in the middle brachot. That's really where we're going to start, the middle brachot, this middle section of bakashot. Um, I think it's possible that as we begin to understand more about them, we'll be in a position to better understand the groups at the beginning and at the end of Shemon Ezra too. Mm-hmm. So we'll try to revisit that at the end. But so we're going to narrow our focus for the beginning with the brachot that begin with Atachon and Lanadat, the idea that uh, God, you're the one who bestows uh, knowledge to man. So th- that's what I wanted to say in terms of, uh, of of the scope of our inquiry. And one word about method and then we'll kind of jump in. Um, I mean, in, in listening to uh, some of the ideas you put together, um, I'm going to give you my sort of best summary of, of the, uh, the methodology I see you using. Uh, mm-hmm. And you're, you, you can be free to nitpick with me or disagree or, uh, entirely. But I think um, a, a simple way to see it is that one of the difficulties that you sort of have when you read the Shmon Esrei is that it seems kind of haphazard it seems random, I don't really get uh, a story, right? Normally when I read any sort of text, there's there's a story, there's transitions, there's I understand how I get from point A to point B. Now it doesn't make a difference if I'm reading a lease or if I'm reading a novel or if I'm reading a nonfiction biography, right? Just the nature of writing is that there's transitions that take me from paragraph to paragraph, and I understand some sense of where I'm starting and where I'm ending, and the path through. It's not as easy in the Shmoda Esrei. It just sounds like there's sort of these 18 disconnected blessings, and I just don't get how one connects to the other. And Ami, one of the things that I hope is that we can create a sense of path here right? What are the missing transitions between these blessings? How do we get from one to the other? Why did blessing four come after blessing three come after blessing two? How is it that these things connect, right? So that I think is one methodological thing that's going to preoccupy us. How do these things connect? What is the story here? Um, Would you agree with that? Does that feel like uh, where your head is
1: at? Um, Yeah, I mean, that's, that's definitely one of the overarching... Um, guiding principles here, paying attention to the sequence of things, um, which you're talking about. Any text that I read, I need to kind of be able to follow the the thread there, right? Um, yep. I think it becomes particularly uh, significant here in the Shmoneh Esrei. You know, listeners, I think just I think it's helpful just pay attention at what point when I'm saying these words when I'm davening do I start to just totally tune out. Like, where do I kind of just turn to fuzz and get lost? Like, oh, all of a sudden, I guess I'm talking about judges. Um, Oh, now I'm talking about Mashiach. How did I get here? Yep. You know, and I think
0: that's a great kind of um, litmus test that you can use uh, almost as a way of getting in touch with this methodology. That notion of tuning out of your brain turns to fuzz. I know that that's something which we internally sometimes use here at Aleph Beta when we're critiquing scripts that we write, sometimes will bring in another writer and say, hey, read the script and let me know when your brain turns to fuzz, <laughs> right? Because when your brain turns to fuzz, it means I didn't do my job because you have no idea how you got to where you're going, how, how idea mm-hmm. A connected to idea B, and therefore you're daydreaming. You're, you're no longer focused, right? So sometimes mm-hmm. the the where you start to daydream is actually indicative that you're missing a connection. You just don't see how this relates, right? Because mm-hmm. if there was a story here, I, I'd, I'd be locked in. So right. uh, that's a great thing to ask. You know, where is my brain turning to fuzz as I say these words? So one of the things we're going to be looking at is is a sequence, right? How do all these things fit together? Now, one of the things that Ami going to do, <coughs> I think Ami going to also make the case that when you read the the Shemona Esrei the author of shmidashai or the authors of shmidashai were not composing an original document from scratch mm-hmm. that is meant to be understood entirely in a vacuum they mm-hmm. are fully within uh, jewish history which is the the books that have come before namely the tanakh the bible mm-hmm. right the the prophets the, the writings right they are drawing on some of these themes Right and you know it's one it's interesting Ami I don't know why right is it and maybe we'll never really know but I think Ami can sort of demonstrate convincingly and it's certainly true right that there are copious allusions allusions with an A to earlier works to biblical works in the in in in, in this uh, in this text um, and. And yet what's different about what I think what you and I are going to do here is that you can open up a Siddur, and sometimes if it's a good Siddur, a good prayer book, you can find little footnotes that will say, oh, look at Isaiah over here, look at Deuteronomy yeah. over here. And like, typically, Ami, do you pay any attention to those when you're <laughs> reading the Sidur? Right.
1: Um, no, no. I'm just trying to, you know, I'm trying to daven. <laughs> you're just trying to daven,
0: right? And isn't it sad, of course, that the word daven is also a synonym for like say things very quickly without any understanding of uh-huh. what it is that you're saying? Right? <laughs> but but uh, maybe that, by the end of
1: this, we'll have a new a new word for prayer. That, yes, you that, know, that, or at least a new understanding of what tefillah means for us.
0: Yeah, we can come up with a new Yiddishism other than daven for prayer. But the what I think Ami's uncovered is that those quotations, those times when the authors are echoing biblical texts are not something to be dismissed. That is magic, what's happening there. Those are windows into deeper meaning. And if you look what's happening in those other places, they just astoundingly illuminate what it is that's going on back here in the prayers and and help us with that first methodological issue, which is like, how does it all connect? with each other that the the biblical illusions are going to kind of help us and they won't just help us sort of in this intellectual way craft the prayer and see how it all fits i think they also help us personally because if you see what's happening with these illusions and where the sages are going back into these earlier biblical texts There is spiritual meaning there, right? The thing comes alive in three dimensions, Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden it's personal, it's meaningful, it's something I can touch and feel, I can begin to see its layers, and it makes a difference for me. So in my mind, those are kind of the two things that, you know, little preview here uh, we're going to be looking at, which is sequence right and echoes we might say sequence mm-hmm. and echoes mm-hmm. and sequence will sometimes help us see the echoes echoes will sometimes help us see the sequence and all of it i think will help us uh spiritually connect to it a lot more uh at least that's mm-hmm.
1: uh, so mean that i feel like a good summary for you um it is i just i want to want to add response to one thing that you said there um it's true a lot of you know Sidurim, especially translated ones, they'll have little footnotes, like look at this verse over here. And part of what, what I want to share with with you here in these next few weeks is that some of those textual references are really overt. Like some of them seem to be really there at the surface and that's the kind of stuff that you'll find in the footnotes in the Siddur. Um, some of that stuff you'll even find in descriptions of the Gemara itself about the, the order of, of the blessings. Um, but there's also... I think as we start to look at the text a little more closely, somewhat of a covert reference is happening, or at least, you know, I think once we see them, they're not so covert, but they're not going to be there in the footnotes. Um, but yep. part of what I want to show is that these echoes, they're not just in the obvious places where you recognize it at first glance. Yep. But, but once you start to look at it more carefully, the echoes are are really all over the place. Yeah, and so
0: what Ami's kind of saying is, is that don't get too focused on those footnotes in your sidur because they're they're not going to be entirely complete those those are going to look it's a good the, starting point it's a good starting Definitely point, good starting the overt point. Echoes, but you sort of have to ask yourself once that's there what else do you see so Ami, with all of that explaining around what's going to happen it's time for us to dive in let's take a look at the first of these blessings uh Ami, you want to just kind of uh read it for us and translate it just in the kind of most basic way that you would
1: yeah, sure. Um and I'll just say for, for most of these blessings I'm working out of the the Nusach Ashkenaz. Um there's you know different communities that have different slight variations and there may be times where we actually bring in different variations to help illuminate some of the points, but I'm I'm gonna really be focusing anyway on the language that's consistent throughout most of the most of the different versions. So we start with the Bakashot, right? We start with our requests, and the first thing we request has to do with dot. Um, knowledge let's let's see the words you grant you bestow knowledge to humankind and you teach people understanding grant us from you bestow upon us from you god um, knowledge understanding and haskel. which i don't know how would you translate haskell rabbi Foreman maybe insight um sechel is going to be the word
0: for mind Haskel mm. is going to be the ability to use the mind uh, mm. maybe it means uh, insightful de vaskel it's, it uh, these are all synonyms right the nature of how these synonyms interact is uh you know is interesting and and maybe something that uh we will deal with years ago ami I put together a course. Um, uh, which I never did in Aleph Beta. It was kind of experimental, uh, but Mm -hmm. it was kind of on uh, sort of archetypally uh, masculine and feminine ways of knowing things. And with the idea Mm -hmm. that it's not as if all women think in a certain way or all men think in a certain way, but almost the same way that there's a masculine and feminine Hormone, Right. There's testosterone and there's estrogen. And yet Mm -hmm. all real people, whether you're male or female, have both of these hormones within you. Right. It's Mm -hmm. just kind of the balance. But you might say that testosterone is an archetypally male hormone and estrogen is an archetypally female hormone, that there are archetypally male ways of knowing archetypally female ways of knowing i saw those uh way back then as Dea and bina actually Dea being a, a more masculine way of knowing bina uh understanding being a more feminine way of knowing um and the the big question mark is where haskell comes in right and how mm-hmm. that uh and how that fits, and I, I don't have opinions about that. But mm-hmm. the larger vision of the masculine and feminine ways we'll have, to, we'll have to leave for another course. But finish off the blessing for us.
1: So the the chatima, the closing, Baruch at um, bless blessed are you God, chonein hadat, bestower of knowledge. And if you go
0: back to this blessing, this opening blessing to these, to these requests, it sort of is interesting, isn't it, Ami? Before you even dive into any of the research which you've done here, I just kind of want to ask you a, a basic human question, which is, what does it mean to you that this is how the Shemoneh Esrei begins, that this is how the Bakashot begin? Of all things, I mean. If I would, you know, I remember back when I was a kid, there used to be this game show Family Feud, you know, and on Family mm-hmm. Feud, they would, they, they'd ask these questions and they'd survey like a hundred people and your job survey was to, says. survey says, right? Your job was to, to get the highest ones up on the survey. I mean, like if they had a, if they asked people like a hundred people, give me your Bakashot, what should you start? you have a chance to have an audience with the master of the universe, the creator what are you interested in mm. right uh, what do you think the survey would have said you know what, what would people what do you think the most popular bachashaw would have been to start things off if you, this is your chance to get the attention of the master creator
1: well, I think it's obvious that everyone would want to know everything in the world and, let, you know, <laughs> please, God, let me know 42 languages and, and advanced course. mathematics and, and, yeah.
0: And Sophocles and, and Antigone <laughs> and, and Hamlet. And I always wanted to know Hamlet. And it's like.
1: Okay, well, I'll say it this way. It, now, I'm being a little tongue in cheek. There definitely is a human drive to know, to amass knowledge. Right. But, but, it, but, but to, to just be fair, it's not the first thing that I think I would want.
0: Right. Hell well met. right it's like you know there's all these basic things that i'm screaming for it's fascinating that we start things off um you know with this and i guess my question to you is just from a human perspective uh, what do you make of this uh of, of starting off mm. our what it is that we ask for god is this blessing just for nerds right just mm. people who <laughs> you know who enjoy shakespeare just people who uh who want to understand the difference between Kant and Hegel and Schopenhauer. What is what is this, this quest for knowledge that we're beginning with? So
1: so this is already touching on, I think, one of the essential kind of shifts that I think we need to make when we approach the Shmon Esrei, which is we actually, you know, rather than what would I say at this point, like maybe part of what we need to be doing here is listening to the Shmon Esrei. Like, what is it saying to us mm-hmm. it, that this is where it begins?
0: Okay, you know, I hear and, you. And right. what,
1: are, what, are, what are the, if I read, if I'm taking in, I'm kind of receptive to the Shemona Esrei as something that that I'm here to listen to and to absorb. So what is it telling me that this is the starting point?
0: Okay, fascinating. I'm willing to buy that, right? This notion that a proper way to study this is as sort of demanding and as urgent as the enterprise of prayer seems to be. We oughtn't let ourselves become distracted by all of that urgency. We have a sacred text in front of us. And when you've got a sacred text in front of you, you have Mm. to have a little bit of humility and you have to sort of stand back and say, okay, wait a second, maybe this isn't so idiotic. What really Mm. is being said? Right? And maybe if we understand it, we might be able to understand why this quest for knowledge is so, you know, uh, so so basic and so important. Um, so yes, uh, that sounds like a good segue to, uh, you know, to begin to 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 mind this. And let me just actually say one thing personally, and then you know go in and and mind this. But uh, you know, personally, I, I guess one of the things I think about is that dot knowledge and i'm not so sure it's knowledge or wisdom but something like that right that cognitive capacity to make sense of the world is you know sort of one of our vastly underrated needs Mm -hmm. you know what i mean It's like we've got a Mm -hmm. lot of needs and some of those needs we take for granted so much that we don't even realize we need them like ami Mm -hmm. like is one of How much do you when you think about your needs? You know you're thinking about well I've got this kid in school I've got that I I want to marry right. But do you think like electricity and water as your needs? And the answer is no because I just take that for granted, right? And and until you don't have it, until you don't, until you don't have those things, right? And if you think about like the number one most powerful capacity that any one of us is endowed with to actually sort of make change in the world to build anything in the world to do anything creative with, it actually is our cognitive abilities, right? Our Mm -hmm. abilities to this amazing capacity that we of all creatures have to be able to use our mind to come to an understanding of what is actually out there (coughs) is mind-blowing. You find philosophers of science talking about this, by the way. I remember reading a book I think was called The Mind of God by Paul Davies. I'm not sure if it was that book. But, you know, his argument was that one of the most astounding things is that the universe is built in such a way that human beings can actually comprehend it. That we can Mm -hmm. use our mind and understand what in the world is going on, right? If you think Mm -hmm. about the awesome power of the mind, that the mind has the capacity to understand the secrets of the universe, to discover what gravity is made of, to discover how it all fits, how it all works, to understand how the moral world works, to understand this this great puzzle that's been put out before us called our existence, that our mind can grapple with it. It's a it's it's the most powerful thing in the world, right? It is the hmm. the greatest tool. So if one way of thinking about the, the Bakashot is we're asking for our toolbox, right? It's a pretty mm-hmm. big part of the toolbox, albeit something that we all take for granted because it's as natural as anything, right? That's mm-hmm. what a human being does, a uh, human being thinks. So, I don't know, That's does that right. so resonate with you? On
1: that note, I mean, isn't the mere act of asking for it again and again and again kind of a wake-up call It is to this? kind of wondrous gift and, and, and just look at how we talk about it here. <inaudible> wow, God, you you did this. You give us this well, not only you amazing did this, capacity. You give us
0: this capacity, which you theologically, spiritually, is saying something pretty amazing, isn't it? Which is that this gift isn't just something that is present. This was actually a gift and that itself is amazing right it's not just mm-hmm. like my room comes with you know uh comes with a floor and comes with a plant in the corner and that's mm-hmm. just like the basics of my existence no every human being has to see themselves as actually having gotten this cognitive capacity from somewhere from the holder of all cognitive capacity mm-hmm. it's a it's it's literally uh, mind on loan from god Right, mm-hmm. which is special because in a way that means that when you use your mind, you're actually engaged in a spiritual endeavor. Right, you are using a gift. Right, and mm-hmm. and and that came from somewhere. And actually, that mm-hmm. word chonin is an interesting word too, Ami. Right, it's a mm-hmm. it's a very gift-like word. Wouldn't you say? How would you right. translate that word?
1: Right. I mean, uh, the word chen is kind of a. Um, untranslatable term which is just the the feeling of charm and love that I have for something because I do have love for that thing <laughs> right why do I like it in Hebrew yeah. it, it finds favor in my eyes I just I'm drawn to it yeah. <laughs> so, so, so right, right. That's, so that's when the there it's, it's an it's an attraction there's an attraction and, and a kind of belovedness so when it's used as a verb it's kind of like you've lo- you just lovingly give this to me it's 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 kind of this free gift of love that you you i just recognize that you give you give this gift to me cuz cuz you love me cuz you want and, to
0: and think about that right if dot if the cognitive capacity really is mankind's most fearsome tool most powerful tool this incredible bulldozer right to be able to i mean think about it bears are a lot stronger than human beings right but bears do not mm-hmm. have human beings in their zoos People have human. Mm-hmm. People have bears in in human zoos. And why did we dominate bears? It's it's because of this capacity, right? Because, because we yeah. we can think and and actually use thought to to manipulate our world, right? <clears throat> and by the way, I think this blessing is is all the more uh, comes into relief in our own day and age when. The hunter- gatherers have given away to the agricultural revolution to give away to the scientific revolution that gives away to the industrial revolution that gives way to the information age right mm-hmm. I mean that's what knowledge really is power now right if you are a computer programmer if you can manipulate machine minds and what area of computer programming is number one is the hottest ticket, right? It's AI, it's It's literally artificial intelligence. It's if you Mm -hmm. can manipulate intelligence, you have this great power. But look at that word that you just talked about, that, that, right, of how God gives it. Chain is is a gift that's so deeply associated with emotion and the emotion Mm -hmm. is charm and love. Right. Mm -hmm. It's the least cognitive Mm -hmm. thing you can imagine. Right. The God with Mm -hmm. with just nothing but love. Right. Gives you this incredibly powerful cognitive tool of his and says, hey, humans, you know, this is for you. Just wanted to let you know, please unwrap carefully. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, you are the. So there's this sense that when you just start reading Shmonesrei, the sense that it hits you that this thing that I use all the time, it comes from somewhere and and it comes from somewhere lovingly and it comes from mm-hmm. my creator lovingly. And that's a, a powerful kind of orienting tool. So, I mean, with this kind of as a background Tell us you know you've been doing some research cognitively as you looked at this <laughs> thing What did you begin to uncover where Where were you starting to think of as you were reading this blessing?
1: So I actually want to pick up on on something you you mentioned already other Ferman, which is the beginning point of the book is beginning with dot and it it is this kind of fundamental human gift and human capability, and if we think about our story and, and the Torah itself, actually the very beginnings of the human story and and human relationship with God really revolves all around that, around this issue of of knowledge, of this divine knowledge, and of humanity using that knowledge. And, Interesting. Um, so,
0: and, and if you actually go back to the beginnings, at least the way that the Bible talks about those beginnings – You know, the two ways I think of Dot at the beginning uh, is one is is more obvious and one is less obvious. I'm actually going to start with a less obvious one uh, Mm -hmm. because it actually dovetails with what it is that we talked about. The less obvious, but I think uh, still blatant way that Dot figures into the early stories of humanity is going to be in Genesis chapter one. Because in Genesis chapter one, the very first blessing. That God mm-hmm. gives us. Think about it. Here these are blessings mm-hmm. that we give God. The story mm-hmm. of humanity begins with a blessing. but It begins with a blessing that God gives us. And think about what that blessing is. What does God say in that blessing? Right? The first thing it says is that God is thinking. And God says to himself, Nasa Let us make man in our image. Right? And then, Vayivra barato. God creates man in his image. Um, so the first thing we understand about him is that Ganan man is created in God's image and then God blesses man and woman, right? And what is that blessing? So the first blessing is right, be fruitful and multiply. But then what's interesting is be fruitful and multiply. Don't just have a few kids literally fill the world with your progeny. Now, I mean, let me just ask you something, right? How do you if you think about like all the various different species in the world, not all of them get this blessing, right? Not everybody right. gets a blessing of pru or vu um, et interestingly enough, by the way, fish get that blessing. Fish
1: get that one, right?
0: Yeah. Fish get that one and fill the land, seas. land animals do not get that blessing. Right and mm-hmm. people do why, and I think the answer is is that the fish can get the blessing because the fish have the seas to themselves, so they're going to mm-hmm. fill the seas, right? But you can't give that blessing to both humans and animals because mm-hmm. they both live in the same habitat. We're going right? to be you fighting
1: ha- for real estate.
0: They'd be fighting <laughs> for real estate. You can only give that blessing to the dominant species. So when you say mm-hmm. prouver vu, you're already saying prouver muluataris fill the world with your progeny, that mankind is dominant, right? Now the question is, we're, we're the apex predator. We're at the top of the food chain. Now that idea of dominance is going to continue in the next word in the blessing. Because the next word mm-hmm. in the blessing is, <inaudible> and conquer it. Mm-hmm. And master the the fish, and master the fowl, and master all of these all of these animals and then if i ask you ami mean, like how does that work right how are we going to attain such mastery are we the strongest of the beings on the planet right do we have a, a, in terms of brawn do we really deserve to to win out in terms of muscle power and the answer is mm-hmm. no right it's not just bears it's lions and tigers and bears as dorothy mm-hmm. and, and toto would say right? It's mm-hmm. any large predator. And how was it that we managed to put these guys in zoos? And the answer comes back to our minds, our minds together with our hands, working together. Um, we can direct these things. And the process through which we do, actually later on in the Torah is called Malachah, and it's mm-hmm. actually a divine process. And maybe this is all what it means at some level to be Tzalem HaLakim, to be mm-hmm. the created in the image of God. God created the world through Malacha. We can't create the world, but we can create in the world with Malacha. Mm-hmm. What is Malacha? Malacha is mind, but not just disembodied mind, mind directing hands to be able Transite to create to be able to create what you want. Mm-hmm. So this is the first great moment where man's cognitive abilities uh, appear in the Bible, but it's not the last well,
1: right. I actually thought yeah. you were gonna say something else, maybe this is where you're going, but Go the ahead. beginning of that bra, revu when we see Adam and Eve bearing children, the way they do it is through Daat It's Vayeda Adam et Also
0: interesting, isn't it? Right? That even the the euphemism for intimacy between man and woman that the Torah uses also borrows from that lush that idea of Daat, right? Making you wonder sort of what Daat is, if it really is completely conceptual, right? Or is at some level...
1: Conceptual, right? Conceptual. Even that That's word. Right. Even that word.
0: That's right. Yeah. Dot allows you to conceive. But it mm-hmm. But it may also be, the. You know, the Kabbalah talks about dot as uh, meaning con- uh, connection, Right when I can reach out and touch something, I know it, right? And one way mm-hmm. to know mm-hmm. is to be able to feel the contours of something and to be able to understand. And so to connect experientially is a way to know something. And man knows Eve in that kind of way. But what I was getting at before was that it's that there seems to be an entirely other area of Da'at that, that uh, the Torah seems to be preoccupied in, in the early stories. And there interestingly enough it's not so clear that man should have access to that kind of knowledge as strangely as it is man is mm-hmm. blessed that he has this cognitive capacity to do Malacha, and god is saying run with it but there seems to be this other area of dot where god is like saying i'm not so sure you should be running with that mm-hmm. and i think i you were suggesting that this
1: blessing is maybe touching on some of that so take us there Right, so so if you just look at that opening phrase, la dat, and do what we do at Aleph all the time, just listen to the words, forget that you're saying the Shemone Esrei. Here are these words, adam dat, adam dat. Where does that take your mind? It takes you right to to Gan Eden. It takes you right to the to the Garden of Eden, where there's a whole big story about um, the 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 etadat the tree of knowing good and evil, and and Adam, who is commanded, don't eat from that tree right and and, the,
0: and now let me ask you this question ami and we're and and with this, we're gonna kind of bring this to a close our first little dipping our toes in the water here right, of the of the right but the the question I want to ask you is maybe the most basic question you can ask about the story of the tree of knowledge of good mm-hmm. evil, which is why in the world would God want us not to eat from that tree?" Right? It's, it, right. It seems like such a good thing. Not only is dot mechanical knowledge, industrial knowledge, information knowledge, wonderful at making man powerful. Right. But why can't man. um, What is it? Is there moral knowledge he's not supposed to have the knowledge of good and evil, which seems to be moral knowledge, the understanding that this is good and this is mm-hmm. evil. And he oughtn't to have that. Right. It sounds just preposterous to say that. Mankind shouldn't have access to moral knowledge. That this, of you know, all trees, is the one that's off limits. If it was the spotted and peckled, speckled, and polka dotted tree that was off limits, so then maybe it's just random, right? But of all trees to have this tree off limits, it just seems strange. And this is like the fundamental question that you ask about this. And I think, Ami, where you were going with this is that maybe this blessing is beginning to give us a way to dig out of that question. It, it, right, possibly, because you,
1: you look, you look at these uh, these opening words, Go ahead. So, where before we go that? even further, right? We we know a story in the opening chapters of Genesis where Dad is something that God seems to be withholding from Adam. And, uh, that word used here very specifically, I think. And here we're opening the bracha, saying, "Actually, God, you lovingly bestow a gift of da'at to humankind." So that already, again, if, we're a big if, we haven't really gone that far down the rabbit hole here. But if this bracha is somehow referencing Adam and Dot way back in Genesis, it's actually kind of telling the, the opposite story from the one we're familiar with. Which right? is crazy. It's telling us, right? it's God, almost... you give the gift. You give this gift. It's a free gift. Give it away to us. You it's just so, give it to us. What do you so mean it, give it to us? Right.
0: So at this point, Ami, with all due respect, this is where your theory starts sounding preposterous because if i <laughs> it, right, because if i if i take you at face value right it, it, what is being suggested here is a counterfactual spin on the eden narrative it's like the star trek reboot right which is like it goes in a completely different <laughs> right it's the story where god lets you eat from the tree Right, mm-hmm. but that wasn't the
1: story. Oh no, we they know didn't and take it. They didn't take it. God gave it to them. It, well, it was okay. Yeah, right?
0: That's right. It, <laughs> it sounds like it, it sounds like a, a a convenient spin for humans, right? But it, it, it God wasn't bestowing that tree. We took from the tree. So the question mm. is: Is Ami's theory that this is perhaps, and again, right now a big perhaps? Skeptical. We don't know whether this is really true. But if if this language of Adam. Is, is not just uh, uh, you know is uh, for humankind takes us back to the original Adam right. and not, his a, original generic term not here, a generic right? term but the original Adam in the garden and his experience with that is it does it fly in the face of reality to say oh sure hmm. man uh, God was chonin he freely is gifted gift out of love no that was the one thing that he that he said that we, we shouldn't eat from it, it seems crazy so is this counterfactual and what I want to suggest, and, and I want to close our, our first session with this suggestion, is that the bracha here is getting to a provocative possibility, a provocative mm-hmm. reading to the story. It is leading you towards a provocative reading of the Eden story. There is a general principle ami, when it comes to learning Tanakh, um, and I say it all the time in Aleph Beda, And it's true with whatever you read, but certainly with Tanakh, never read with the end in mind, right? Mm -hmm. One of the things Mm -hmm. that creates problems for us is that you already know the end of the stories because the stories are familiar to you. But the problem is if you know the end of the stories and you know the middle of the stories, you know the whole story, you can fail to, you, you can succumb, let me put it that way, to the illusion of of inevitability. The illusion of Mm -hmm. inevitability is this story had to end that way. Why? Because it did end that way, right? So it had to be that Adam and Eve had to eat from this tree because, uh, you know, otherwise what would history look like? What would the Torah look like? But of course that's not true, right? Every human being has free will, including Adam and Eve. They could have chosen to eat from the tree and could have not chosen to eat from the tree and as you're reading the story, the story did not have to end that way, right? It's it's not a foregone conclusion. So there's a gr- really great what if question that the Torah leaves you with, which is what if Adam and Eve had never reached out to take from the tree? What would have mm-hmm. happened? What would have history looked like had they obeyed the command to stay away from this tree? And We don't know the answer to that. Why? Because that's not our version of history. We only see what happens after they violate the command they take from the tree. They get kicked out of Eden. They got all these punishments. But the question is, what if they were good little boys and girls? What if they had not eaten from the tree? And this blessing, I want to suggest, or I think you're suggesting, is giving you its answer to that hypothetical, which is... The restriction on the tree was only temporary. Mm -hmm. It wasn't supposed to be forever, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, stay away from the tree until some point in time. What would have happened if you stayed away, if you demonstrated your willingness to cede the tree to God? At some point, (laughs) at some point, God says, I have a gift for you. In other words, mankind's sin wasn't taking something that wasn't meant for him. Mankind's sin was taking a gift before its time, Mm -hmm. was stealing something that should have been the unripe fruit. Stealing something just before the master finished putting the bows and putting the, 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 the wrapping paper on it and saying, here, this is for you. How impolite. Why would you reach out and grab something before I can bestow it to you? There was this moment in time that it wasn't yet for us, right? While the gift was being wrapped. And we have to ask, you know, what was it about? What had to happen during that moment in time? Good question, right? But there was this moment in time that wasn't yet for us. But who is God? God, of course, is the giver of that. Right. God is the giver of intellectual wisdom that lets you rule over animals right away. But moral wisdom is a little different. Moral wisdom, mm-hmm. you have to leave in God's domain for a little bit. And then one day God smiles and presents you with a gift and says, hey, I want you to be my partner in another kind of knowledge and another kind of discerning good and evil. And God gives that gift to you lovingly, that ability to make those distinctions between good and evil that God himself makes. And this blessing seems to be suggesting, I think, a resolution to the most fundamental basic question in the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which is how could God say this tree is off limits? The answer is it was never meant to be off limits permanently. God is always the Chonin Laud the giver, the one who bestows gift. The problem is we took it too soon. So Ami, I want to thank you for the beginnings of this fascinating exploration. Got many more blessings to go. And um, who knows how many weeks this is going to be. (laughs) But but, uh, I really want to thank um, everybody in our cohort for listening to this. And thank you, Ami, for um, beginning to take us down this path. It's a fascinating path. And folks uh, in our cohort, you got your pens in hands or your keyboards in hands. Feel free to, to join the discussion uh, with your thoughts, your questions, your observations. You disagree. You want to you wanna add something. You tell us your personal stories. Whatever you like to put on the discussion boards. We'll be looking at them. We'll pick up with uh, some of the stuff that you guys have got to say uh, next week. And we'll dive in, uh, look at this bracha a little bit more carefully, and then try to figure out what in the world this has to do with the next blessing mentions of forgiveness that has to do with Torah and all of those things. Shuvah, repentance, and shuvah, repentance. And we'll be diving into that next week. Until then, Ami, thank you so much. Thank you to our producer, Rifki. We'll see you guys next week and eager to read your thoughts and comments and observations.
1: See you then. Hi everyone, Ami here. I just wanted to say, if you think this theory that me and Rabbi Foreman started to lay out sounds kind of crazy, connecting the first bracha of the Bakashot, Atah La La'adam Da'at, with the story of the tree of knowledge, and especially that maybe God intended for us to eat from that tree, just not right away, well, I'd say you might be right. The truth is, we haven't laid enough of the groundwork yet to really make a strong claim about it, and it's still just a wacky theory. But this is what we're hoping to do over the course of the next segments. There's more evidence here to strengthen the claim about the etadat in this bracha and the ones that follow. And ultimately, we have a broad sweeping theory about the general arc of the Bakashot section of the Shmona In the meantime, think about what we said here. Can you find more evidence in this bracha or the next ones that may support the claim that links it to the Tree of Knowledge? Do you have any strong pushback to our theory? Lay it on us. Thanks a lot. And looking forward to picking up with you next time.